0: on today's episode of The Leadership Drives.
1: You know, I would I would book all of all the clients over the phone. They always thought I was white. And then they would step through the door and they'd say, I'm here to see Lisa. And I'd say, hi, I'm Lisa. And their whole face would change. And it was, and then they would say, oh my God, you were so efficient. You were so knowledgeable. You were so, and the owner came to me and he was like, how did you increase sales by 100%? I said by servicing the black customers. You had black customers that would come into your agency and they would give them the worst hotels. You know, I can book the Disney World all the way up to chartering yachts. I've done it all in travel. But what my true passion is, is exposing black and brown to destinations that are that they don't, that they're not familiar with.
0: Welcome to the Leadership Drives podcast. Now here's your host, Mylena Sutton. Hello, podcast family, and welcome to the Leadership Drives, the podcast where you are invited to travel with me as I endeavor to study leadership in its various forms. I want to know how and why people leave, whether on or off the clock, paid or unpaid, at home or beyond. As you probably know, so much is written about the universal aspects of leadership, but context is where the rubber meets the road. In turn, I look for leaders whose contexts are anything but textbook. My goal is to understand what leadership looks like in their unique corners of the world.
1: So you said you found this hotel through a business accelerator program? So basically um, what happened is I, somebody sent me a link to apply for a program, an entrepreneurship program through Colby College uh, that was being funded through Colby and a bunch of other uh, organizations within Maine. And they were looking for people interested in starting businesses in Maine. And so I filled out the link. She gave me the link. I filled it out. And, you know, they asked me about some of my past businesses because I'm a serial entrepreneur. And so they had me send them some information on some of my other businesses. And then I had pitched the idea of Black Travel Maine. And they accepted me into the program. So you don't have to live in Maine, just start a business in Maine. Not at all. That's awesome. That is no. absolutely awesome. I mean, what and you could anybody can start it. That's why you know so many people incorporate in Delaware because there's no tax. So you can start a business anywhere. I yeah. mean, where you decide to start a business is. Well,
0: my thought was though, if they were going to start an accelerator, um, that they would want to focus on people who
1: live in the state. But that's neither here nor there. Well, one of the big initiatives for the state of Maine is to recruit thirty-five. Excuse me, seventy-five thousand new people. To the state by 2029. That's that is their business bis- That is in their business economic plan for the state. Really? And I've met with their uh, the head of implementation for the for Maine. Okay. Um, and she explained to me, and you know, gave me all the statistics. So basically, what's happening in Maine is communities are dying. There are more people dying than being born in Maine. That's a problem, and they recognize that. And so if they don't, they started to address that issue. So they need actually people who, who want to live here and want to invest in Maine. And they also recognize that diversity is a huge issue for the state. Um, as you know, Brown is going to be the majority by what? <laughs> I very soon. I think like in a minimum, I think somewhere
0: red and I don't know if it's accurate or what I remember whether it's accurate, less than like 20 or 30 years from now.
1: Yeah, it's, it's soon and very soon, as they say. So yeah. Maine recognizes that, I mean, if, if, if they don't diversify, um, what's going to happen to their communities? And then if your communities die, you don't have an economy, you don't have taxes. So uh, I think that the powers that be, remember, everything is always, there's people at the top that make decisions on what's going to happen coming down the pipeline. So I think um, Maine has really looked at we have to diversify. So the first thing they started doing was taking the African refugees um, in. And so there's a huge Somali population that people don't realize. There's a huge African population. I mean, in general or Portland? No, they're in Portland, they're in Lewiston. They're more in Lewiston than they are in Portland. I mean they come in starting in Portland, but then they're they're mostly living in Lewiston, right? Where that so originally when that mass shooting happened, the first thing I thought of is you know but nothing involved um the refugees it was uh, it was all local mainers but the point is um that's where lewiston is where all most of the refugees live wow. um, you know i went to uh, i interviewed someone in
0: maine not maine uh vermont and i was surprised at the number of people who were refugees there um and i often in a very facetious way go people from the warmest place in the world wind up in the coldest place in this country how does that happen um, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. So what made you decide Black travel made as opposed to another type of business? What what gave you the passion,
1: the commitment, the vision for this? So if you want the honest truth. Yes.
0: Um, Who wants the dishonest truth?
1: Uh, I have been working well because... I can offend some people if I say the honest truth. And so that's why I'm always hesitant. Do I really want to tell the the full story? I mean, I'm 30 years in travel. Okay. I started in travel in 1988 when there were no black people traveling like we travel now. Okay. Um, most of, when I would go to these resorts and these high-end hotels, it would be all Caucasian people, no black people represented except the staff working. I saw the change in travel. I grew up in that change, um, seeing, um, and it, to me, it was things like the soul Sinbad soul fest that started the explosion of black people traveling. And then we started traveling in groups. So black travel, Maine, I had been dealing with the Caribbean for years and dealing with the tourist boards and the governments, you would think that being a black business that I would get a ton of support and I didn't. Um, And I found that very offensive because you would think Islands in the Caribbean want our business and want to market to us. They don't want to market to us either. And so I decided after fighting that fight for so many years, trying to get them to do the right thing and value the black dollar, that I'm only going to focus on destinations that really want our business and that are going to treat us right. And in marketing and in the way uh, we show up, everything. And that's, and that's one of the things I'm doing here in Maine is holding them accountable to making sure, because I have 30 years of experience in this, I know how they treat the others. Wow. So making sure that we are treated the same way. So um, when I say, um, I mean, a lot of people wouldn't believe me um, if I said to you that I've been, I've had hotel general managers in the Caribbean tell me that they've sat in meetings in the past and have heard leadership talk about getting the riffraff out of their hotels when they would use the term riffraff they were speaking of the black tourists hmm. so a lot of these places really didn't want us or didn't want our dollars and i didn't understand that and so when i would go to them with these ideas and let's let's let's, let's help let's do fitness retreats for black people in the caribbean let's they, were, they told me to change my demographics for my marketing and they'll support me. Wow. Do you know how many times I heard that? Wow! That's wrong. I market to everybody, I'm not, but, but certainly that's discriminating to me to say, because my trip is geared toward, my trip is welcome to everybody. I have white people come on my trip too, but they were like, we wanna see a bigger demographic, that demographic coming on your trip before we'll support it. So tell me why that is. Wow. So why would you want to work with a destination like that? Very good point. Why would you want to? Why would you want to? It was a turnoff. And it was, it was, it almost was, I don't know, it it really hurt, you know, to be treated like that um, by Black destinations. Let's call it what it is. It was by Black, and I even tried to logically think about why they were like that like why i mean i'm a business owner and i started off my business mostly selling travel to caucasians because at that time that's all that's who's traveling that's who was traveling that was the market but then so my first promotion in travel and i should tell you was I worked in Wethersfield, Connecticut. I don't know how much you know about Connecticut, but I worked in Wethersfield, Connecticut. And I started there in 1989 or 88, 89. And it's all white community. And I was hired as a receptionist slash ticket agent. And in three months, I was promoted to travel agent. And, you know, I would I would book all, all of the clients over the phone. They always thought I was white. And then they would step through the door and they'd say, I'm here to see Lisa. And I'd say, hi, I'm Lisa. And their whole face would change. And it was, and then they would say, oh my God, you were so efficient. You were so knowledgeable. You were so, so um, then I worked there for, for nine years, I believe, before I got my first promotion, it was either seven or nine years. And then I was promoted to Hamden, Connecticut. And when I went to that store, and I started management, and in the first year, I increased sales by 100%. And the owner came to me, and he was like, how did you increase sales by 100%? I said, by servicing the black customers. Hmm. You had black customers that would come into your agency, and they would give them the worst hotels. They would send them motel sit. They would, like, just assume black people had no money. And so when I started, became the manager there, it was a black manager came in, it was all white staff. So the first thing we're going to do is service everybody. When I started, I analyzed what was going on there. I so said, all we did was service everybody and offer black people the same thing we offer. So they we offer them a Hyatt or a Ritz-Carlton, show them the better stuff, just like you would show anyone else. And that's really how I began making a name for myself in travel. I became like the black girl in travel in Connecticut Um, before there was Instagram and, you know, all of this. Um, And so then I worked all throughout the state. I worked, um, they promoted me then from, and it was an honor, the 300, he had 300 offices. It was a Jewish company, 300 offices. And then they promoted me to open Greenwich, Connecticut, which was their flagship store in their community. And that's where I would book people like the Alpha Eds,, well, I remember once a client coming in and telling me they were neighbors of the Alpha Eds. If anyone remembers them, they're, they're the people. Um, Princess Diana got in the uh, crashers during that whole time. And I remember them coming in trying to make a reservation at the Hotel Ritz in Paris. And I remember um, calling the hotel for this guest and the hotel was sold out just send them a a fax. Back then it was fax. Send them a fax and tell them who I am and I'm from Greenwich, Connecticut and I need a room. And the next morning I came in and their room was confirmed. And I was like, oh my God. Like the power of, you know, I just, I learned all, so my travel knowledge is not just, it's everybody. So I can work, you know, I can book the Disney World all the way up to chartering yachts. I've done it all in travel. But what my true passion is is exposing black and brown to destinations that are, that, they don't, that they're not familiar with.
0: You are listening to my conversation with Lisa Parham-Jones, the founder of Black Travel Maine. Lisa has been in the travel and hospitality industry for more than 20 years, and has decided that Maine is where she wants to be. Even if that causes a few people to raise their eyebrows and ask, why Maine? Lisa wants to share with Black travelers what she has found. Maine has a welcoming business community and great people. The mission of Black Travel Maine is to make sure guests have a good time, are treated well, and have experiences that affirm who they are. In short, Lisa aims to be the champion of travelers who want to participate in luxury experiences without wondering if people like them are welcome. Now, let's get back to Lisa and our conversation. What do you think it does for black and brown folks to have someone like you saying, hey, I wanna expose people to destinations they don't normally go to? What do you think it does for a person perhaps um, their lives, their children, to go to someplace new? What's almost, I don't mean it this way, but almost like, so what? What's the benefit? What's the point?
1: You know, travel, I just even look at my 15-year-old. I remember in school, her, her white school is always saying how worldly she is. Your daughter is so worldly because she travels. Mm-hmm. Traveling opens your eyes to so much. And I think, like, even when we got to the mountain, for me, on the ski trip we just did yesterday mm-hmm. what i had anxiety all weekend what just natural anxiety okay as a black woman in business okay. you're going to have anxiety there is no way around it mm-hmm. because of all the roadblocks i just talked to you about roadblocks mm-hmm. those are the black roadblocks i got white roadblocks got a lot
0: of roadblocks See, I thought you were worried about one of us falling and injuring ourselves. Okay, So just in general. No, in general. Just
1: putting this all together. And yes, and Mm -hmm. the responsibility, absolutely. Okay. Okay. There's a whole lot that (laughs) weighs on this. And so um, there's a lot that goes into getting it to happen, but then actually executing it and then making sure everybody's happy. So yes, there was a ton of anxiety. Mm -hmm. Got to that mountain. Anxiety was over. The outdoors and natural beauty and nature, you know what it does for you. Indeed, indeed. And I don't think a lot of us live in urban areas that are so um, closed off and we don't get outside of those environments. And sometimes even in the rural areas, we don't get outside of that and see the true beauty of the nature around you and how it can help your mental health. Um, and just expose you to things you never thought. And I just think it makes you a better person, with, number one, you when you travel. But I think for Black people, you know, I remember taking my daughter to a place once and her walking in, because I take her on all kinds of amazing experiences, and she walks in and she's like, oh my God, Mom, they have the best of everything. Mm-hmm. So to hear that from a raw child who has been exposed to everything, And I said, no, we can be exposed to these things, too. And so why not? So for me, that's what it's about. I find that
0: what I enjoy about traveling, I do a lot of road tripping, uh, simply because I like to travel when I have little windows of time as well as large pockets of time. And so I kind of go off and do various things. And what I find when I'm in various parts of our country, it's an affirming experience in that you get to see how the way you perceive the world, mm-hmm. how it's different and similar to reality. Mm-hmm. I also think you get to understand different perspectives and points of view. Um, and I love the time to reflect. What I get when I'm hiking, when I'm out in the woods on a mountain, on one hand, is exhilarating. Um, the adrenaline rush yesterday when I first came down the mountain and I did not eat that snow, so to speak. It's like, yes, I can do this. Right. So you have a bit of that. But what i also love and i don't know if there's something physiological about this i also learned i have noticed a pattern um and i noticed it even last night when i come back from that i need a little bit of time by myself because i want to get in my head for a little bit it does something that unlocks those parts of me that i don't feel like in my day-to-day that i have Easy access to, if that makes sense. It just frees something in my brain. Um, maybe it's that creative something that I go looking
1: for, but I love what it does in that well, sense. Well, that's what I said. Yeah. So Because when you're in an urban area, you don't realize how much noise, mm-hmm. how much noise we go. We're, well, even not even in just everyday life, how much noise mm-hmm. that noise has to be shut off sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you're in nature, for some reason, and especially in a beautiful scenery and like even just like I just said to you just walking taking that stroll and having that you know fresh air and it's different than the polluted air in the city (laughs) everyone needs to experience that like it's freeing it's refreshing it's um and I think that I also think it would help people with that like you said with their sense of direction if they had some time where they took that time into nature. And I call it, what you just described is your stillness. It's your your still time. I mean, that's what I call my still time. You have to be still in order for God to speak to you. And if you're not constantly running or you're constantly in... You've got to take that time. And the best place to do it is in nature or when you're traveling. Now, not everybody has the money to travel. So we should really address that. I mean, that's why I love some of what you're doing, Mm -hmm. because that car camping, which I worry about you on, but. I get it, and I think that it's cool um, because we need to find other ways for people to experience travel where they can afford it, you know? you know? I
0: actually think that's a misnomer about car camping. Car camping can be very expensive, and it can be very inexpensive. It depends, to your point. I like What I do like about it and what I think does affirm your point is that you have a range of options, um, but what I have found In order to make it work, because I'm so glad you mentioned the cost thing, I do wonder about people and how do we make space for people whose resources are limited. As a matter of fact, since we're talking about this, on my way home, I'm stopping through Boston (laughs) to buy um, a thing, it goes into the hitch of the car that makes the uh, hitch a swing, uh, puts it on a swing arm so I can carry stuff in a different way. But I do, I often think about what do we do for people and how do we anticipate The needs, particularly of young people who don't have the exposure, Um, I often think about it. I don't know how to make it work because what I often balance is exposing and then also what it means for them perhaps to feel as if they are always a charity case or a burden to other people. And I think about how sometimes we send messages to young people. I think this happens to young people of color often. It's always, we need help, we need help, we need help. And I wonder how that affects their, their psyche to always believe that they are on the receiving end of not um, an opportunity, but it's. I wonder sometimes if they feel like beggars. I do wonder.
1: Our people, you mean in terms of the ones that can't afford to travel? The ones who can't afford to travel. Yeah, yeah. I often wonder, how do we create experiences and opportunities? Well, one of the things I want to do here in Maine Mm -hmm. is, as we drove by yesterday, I pointed out the Belgrade Lakes to you all. Yes, I remember that. I remember that. And there are some gorgeous camps, I told you they're called, and you know, some of them actually... residential one families but then there's also these camps that have a bunch of cottages and so my vision has always been and it's gonna happen because my vision was to to take over a mansion for the weekend Mm -hmm. and have all black people and celebrate us and that's what we did this weekend so that came to fruition so that's one of my next goals Um, I would really love to see that happen and it's going to for Black Travel Maine. I, I, uh, I'm I really, really, really excited. I want to bring a bunch of young Black children from the inner city. My daughter goes to a camp called Camp Atwater. Uh, I sent her there this year. It's a 100-year-old Black HBCU feeder camp. Really? A lot of people don't even know it's oh, so where is this camp? It's in Brookfield, Massachusetts. Okay. And when I went this year to parent visit, I was blown away. Because I could not believe this beautiful space, mm-hmm. and that more of our children are not being exposed to this, and what it does for them—to bring them out of the city mm-hmm. and into this environment for for uh, two, three weeks mm-hmm. in the summer—I want to create more spaces like that mm-hmm. for our kids. Why Why do we have one in the country, um, and then no one knows about it except the affluent? Mm-hmm. That's it. So they, they I don't know if it's kept in a certain bubble that circle that if you don't know about it, you just I got it. I got you. Yeah, because how is it a hundred years old and nobody really knows about it. So um, I would love to start another version of camp at water. Uh, a, a black camp where all we do is bring children out here year-round and have them experience the outdoors, nature. I just think that it's so healing and it's so, ther- you know, it's therapeutic. And I think you'll see children, you know, I think about even myself. I was, I came to Maine coming out of a divorce, a six-year divorce battle, me and my daughter. Um, and when we came, it was healing. We were at the beach every day. We were hiking. We, were, we just went into nature. And we needed that time, and we spent it together, and I feel like that was also um, a good transition for us. How do you, as you think about
0: the vision you have for the Belgrade and some of the other things you want to do with Black Travelmate, where do your ideas come from? What's your, what's your source of inspiration?
1: Well, it's interesting you say that because you, you and I touched on this in, a, in another conversation. and it made me think more. Um, I grew up in an area that was... There was no nothing positive about Black history or culture was taught to me at all, ever. Growing up, I grew up in all white spaces, Catholic schools, um, neighborhoods. My my mom always, Black parents always think you know, sending your kids to the best schools, but then put us putting us in a space where we're the only ones, and so that's how I grew up. And nothing was told to me about being positive about Black people, except slavery. All we all we heard about was we were slaves, that was it. So, it wasn't until I was 18 and I met a young man that just came out of Howard University and of course, coming out of HBCU, he taught me so much about Blackness. He's like, what do you mean? You don't know about all the Black inventors and you don't know about all the... Pa-. And I just was like, what? And he's like, I said, this was never taught to me. So, I want people to understand this erasing of our history has been going on much longer. There, It's maybe just now coming to light, but me growing up in an all-white environment, I didn't think I was pretty. I didn't think I was smart. I didn't think I was, I didn't think Black people were anything positive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was a messed up young woman inside, mm-hmm. you know, in this world wanting to be Something that I guess I, I never wanted to be white per se, but I just, I always thought blonde hair, blue eyes was beautiful. I never thought, never saw, it wasn't until, and I'm like, and then I started feeding, once I met him and I started feeding myself knowledge about how amazing it is to be black. Every, all my friends are like, Lisa, you went from one extreme and I'm, you're one of the most pro-Black people now I know and everything about me. So, you know, even when I pick hotels, when I pick anything I do now, it has to have that learning space of, you know, what's in it for us as Black people? And why do I want to expose my people to this? Indeed. What are they going to get from this? So in addition to A Good Time, that's why we have this program that's going to
0: start yes. a bit. The-
1: And that's why you had the, well, you had Genius, mm-hmm. uh, but you were supposed to do the Freedom Trail. But gotcha. the rain and the yeah. water messed us up. And you didn't, you didn't get to meet her, but I wish you had a, she did show up at the party. Um, the woman from the Abyssinian Meeting House, which is the old, third oldest Black, African-American church meeting house in the country, mm. is in Portland, Maine.
0: I drive by
1: before I yes, you do need to drive by and you need to snap a picture and you need to know that place. It's, it's a historical site now. Okay. She's restoring it. She was here for our welcome party. Okay. And she came in and she looked around and all she says is, Lisa, this work you're doing in Maine. So to see the older Mainers, the sixth generation Black Mainers, so happy to see Black people finally coming and enjoying Maine. And they haven't seen this. Do you know what the gentleman that works at that hotel, the, the black guy at the front desk, said? He's seen maybe two black people in this hotel in the year that he's worked here. Mm-hmm. So to see the whole hotel taken over by us and creating that environment and creating that experience, they need to see that more, and we need to see that more. Do you do this work by yourself? Do you have a team? I have a team.
0: <laughs> How many people are your
1: team? I have a team. I this I definitely don't do by myself. That's the one thing I will tell you as an entrepreneur that you will go wrong on. Mm-hmm. If you do not have a team, and, I, you know, I think about Bob, some of my mentors in business that I read about, Bob Johnson, from BET, but my, the most famous one is um, Reginald Lewis. Is a, You know, not the baseball sports. The Reginald Lewis that closed the billion-dollar deal on Wall Street. That Reginald Lewis. Okay. He died very young, and I actually worked – one year for his wife uh leota lewis um she has this foundation to keep his memory alive um but anyway he was the first black billionaire and the first thing he says is you know how many times he tried to close that deal on wall street and it failed by himself Mm -hmm. it wasn't until he put the right team around him it was that he succeeded And so I always remember that. And that's very, very important to remember. So yes, I have, I even have people in India working for me. So I have, and he's, I always say I had a best friend that was Indian and she, we went to South Africa. Three months after we went to South Africa, she passed away. On that trip, all she did was business coach me. And one of the things she said to me was stop hiring these employees and hire contractors. You're investing too much in these people who aren't investing back. And all of a sudden, this kid reached out to me from India and said, "I, I want to work for you. I've been following you. I see the work you're doing. I want to work for you." And I was like, "But well, where did?" You...? And this kid's been with me five years now. So, and he brought me a whole team that I have over there that does a lot of my digital and my um, uh, imaging stuff. But then I have I have Sean here. Well, let's start with Yolanda, who's been with me since the very beginning. Um, as my virtual administrative assistant who said to me back in 2005 when I started this business look, I just want to help you as another black woman I just want to help you, anything I can do to help you, until you get this business off the ground, don't even have to pay me that's the kind of love I got she's still working for me to this day Um, so I have her, I have Sean, you met Sean Sean has been with me, oh god probably seven or eight years. I mean, long time. Um, uh, who else? I, I have an a ama- Victor, um, my tech guy. I have a guy in Russia, uh, who used to do a lot of our tech because, um, I have a whole back end hospitality system. I told you, I have a software company that, um, is under development right now. We're, we're redoing the code. So, you know, I have been doing this for a minute. Um, I've been working hard. What does it take for you to keep your team aligned? I find that a lot of times with
0: organizations, somebody is moving this way. Your vision is this way. Somebody else is this way. How do you keep everybody on the same page, particularly since they're not in the same country? Um, And then I get the impression I could be wrong, but you're not necessarily all even in the same state. So
1: how do you keep everybody aligned? You're right. Um, because you pick people and you assign them according to their strengths. So the first thing you got to do is figure out where their strengths are and then let them focus on their strengths. Do you have a process for that that you do? You might be
0: great at code, but are you great at code working for Lisa? So how do you
1: figure that out? Because somebody can be awesome at what they do, but hell to work with. So... I'm an energy person, and the first thing that's just I'm a, and I'm a spiritual person, and so I believe that God sends me all the right people. and I know that, not that I believe, and it happens. Um, you see on this trip, I don't know if you read that one of the posts I put in today, um, there's a woman named Vicki uh, Gaither. Don't even know her. I maybe met her. If it's a month ago on Facebook, she's a journalist, she's a writer, national writer. And she reached out to me or I reached out to, I don't, we friend requested each other and we just then exchanged phone numbers and we got on the phone and it was like, we were sisters. Mm -hmm. And from there it was like, sister, what do you need? I'm a, I'm a ski instructor in Vermont. I write for ski magazines. What, what, how can I help you? And she sent me her partner, a ski instructor of 25 years to come and teach you guys ski. So tell me that's not. God aligning all the right people at the right time. I knew I needed, the, you all needed a lesson. I always like my lessons to be, and my experiences to be unique. Yes, we could have just had uh, Sugarloaf do a lesson. But to have a personal mm-hmm. ski instructor with us gives us what? A unique, mm-hmm. for me, it's about creating unique experiences. So hence, you know, Indeed, you mentioned earlier that you had
0: a lot of anxiety until you got to the mountain. One of the things that I'm always curious about when I talk to leaders is this. What do you do for your own sense of self-care? Now, we know self-care doesn't necessarily mean spa
1: days, but what does it mean for you? Spiritual. I go to God. That's I mean, if you don't have a power, I mean, I look at my life and I know as a little girl, I was different from where I came from and that God had a different plan for me. And if you know that and you get up every day and you ask the Lord to lead it, then you know that you're good. And that's how you have to, that's how you have to live. That's how I live my life as a leader. Mm -hmm. I get up every day and you know what? My, the first thing I do is there's a song I put on and I ask the Lord to order my steps. Mm -hmm. Order my steps in your word. And that's the God, that's exactly how I do it. And if you let the Lord lead it, He's never going to steer you wrong, and that's that's my. Because I can tell you that you, as a leader, you there's so much you go through. I mean, there's so many roadblocks. I mean, there's so much. I mean, even in in as much as picking a partner, even as you know, I mean, I'm I've been I'm divorced. I was married 16 years to an orthodontist, very professional man. I thought I was, I had that quote unquote that life that most. Black women, or most women in general, dreamed of you're going to marry a doctor, he's going to put you in a big house with a pool and the whole nine yards. I had that little fake world, and it was that it was fake. (laughs) And it was just, I just realized it wasn't. And I think in being a leader, even picking a partner is hard because I wasn't, he thought I was in competition with him. And I used to say to myself, How, to him, how could I be in in competition with an orthodontist? You spent. (laughs) Most of your life in school, I'm not in competition with you. But for some reason, that's how we show up to these to a lot of men. I don't know what that is as a leader. But I want, I'm a woman that I feel like I can turn it off. I want to turn it off. You know, but it has to be the right situation to turn it off when you're a leader. <laughs> right, indeed, indeed. You're not going to let anybody, you're not following anybody into a ditch. As a leader? For sure. I, now, now this is about to turn into a tangent. Oh, sorry. I actually,
0: No, no, you're good. No, no, no. I told someone the other day we were talking about, quote, unquote, letting me lead. I said, I can't let you lead. You either do or you don't. Let me ask you another couple of questions, and then I will let you get back to your group. When you think about where Black Travel
1: Maine will be this time next year, tell me what you hope to have accomplished. I see double the amount of people. Okay. I, see, I see the vision of what just happened. People bonded. People made friends. There's a mother and daughter that drove from Rhode Island. They didn't know anybody. I met them.
0: I know exactly who you're talking about. I don't remember
1: their names. But uh, yes. Drove from Rhode Island. She, her daughter wanted to ski. She's a young black girl. She wanted a ski experience. The mom wanted to give it to her. Didn't know how to do that on her own but knew that a group with a group it would be the right way to expose it. So to see how they walked into this place and now how they're leaving, they walked in apprehensive. I seen it on their faces. To see the comfort of both the mother and the daughter last night and how comfortable they are now with the group and how happy. That's refreshing to me. I don't know, it warms, it does something for me. That's all I'm looking for, Mm -hmm. is that. That's all I'm looking for. So I want to see more of that. I want to see more of that. I want to see people coming. I like to change people. I like them to come in one way and leave transformed. That's important to me. All that you touch, you change. And all that you change, changes you. Lisa, if people want to find you, where do they look for you? How do they connect? Instagram, Black Travel Maine. Um, LinkedIn, Lisa Parham Jones. I've been out here doing this for a very long time. I love what I do. And I hope to meet you on one of my experiences. Black Travel Maine is, you're gonna hear more and more. And I'm excited. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And uh, I enjoyed what you put together this weekend. Thank you. Thank you for coming.
0: Thank you for listening to my conversation with Lisa Parham-Jones. If you found something in this episode to be particularly meaningful, please let us know. Message or tag me, the host, Mylena Sutton, on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Drives podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe, share with your family and friends, And be sure to tune in to the next episode of The Leadership
1: Drives.